Welcome to another In Wheel Time podcast, a 30-minute mini version of the In Wheel Time car show that airs live every Saturday morning, 8 to 11 a.m. Central. It's the In Wheel Time Car Show, your weekly go-to all-things automotive place. Howdy. Along with Mike out of this world, Mars, King Conrad DeLong, we need more Jeff Zekin. We do. I'm Don Armstrong. Glad you could join us. Right now, we're going to go to a fellow that wrote an article that caught my attention. It's uh, actually from Haggerty.com, and uh, his name is Sajiv Mata. And he wrote this article called Nine Tragically Flawed GM Vehicles Whose Heroic Fixes Came Too Late. I love it. I read the article. I, I loved the research that you did on this. Good morning to you, sir, and thank you so much for joining us today. Good morning, Don. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, listen, I don't know who came up with this, but this is brilliant because, you know, I have a feeling that GM didn't go in to create a vehicle uh, that was badly flawed, but they certainly wound up with them. Uh, one, uh, it, uh, all I can think of is the Aztec. Remember the Aztec, the Pontiac <laughs> yeah. Aztec? Oh, uh, it prob- probably to this day, one of the ugliest vehicles ever. I was there at General Motors while a lot of this was going on, and... Um, so you can you you can relate oh, so your fault, Conrad's fault. But but they did make a Conrad lot of corrections. You know your your opening car, the Cadillac Elante. What a abomination that was with the 4.1 and 4.5 liter engine in it. They finally stick the North Star in it for the last year of production, and the North Star engine in that car was actually quite sweet. But Cadillac had this whole thing about. Guaranteed value compared to the Mercedes SL 500 and horse hockey. <laughs> it, never, it never held its value. Sajeev, so, so, tell us, how did you come up with these and, and, uh, and tell us all the research that you did? Well, it's, it's actually something that I've always thought about in the back of my head. And every day I have a Zoom call, much like I'm having with you guys, with my counterparts at Haggerty. Because uh, I'm here in Houston with you guys, and Haggerty is predominantly in Michigan. So we always brainstorm ideas here and there. And I just blurted it out one time how GM made some really great cars. I mean, they've made Aztecs, which are, you know, ugly. You, you can't fix an Aztec without a flamethrower. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, or we're going to use that sassy. one. <laughs> um, but, you know, they made, they put a lot of effort into some really good cars. But it wasn't enough. And then when they and 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 I mentioned there are a couple that they just they 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 did a, a hail mary at the you know cut ten seconds before the game was over they did a hail mary and they and they and they did it, but they still lost the game and made a very uh, nice car after it was in production three or four years and it already had a stained reputation. Yeah, I mean it was already stained, and I mean let, let's be honest, especially for for people who are used to rear wheel drive vehicles. Front wheel drive Cadillacs were never really gonna gonna bowl, bowl people over, and so the Elantra the Elante had 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 a lot of, a lot of uh, headwinds against it because most most people who like luxury cars like rear wheel drive, but you know that '93 model I drove one when it was new. I mean I was a little kid. I was I was you know I was a kid, but uh, and you know that was impressive as a kid. But I mean it was an impressive car. And, so then I just kind of looked and remembered some other cars. This was all just my in my head saying, okay, remember the Fiero? I was like, wait a second. In 1988, they had the Fiero GT and the Fiero Formula. And I'm like, wait a second. That was a one-year-only car. 
Great and, choice, by the way. Great choice. Yeah. And, and that was a phenomenal car. If that, if, if I mean, I, I, it, the 1988 car could not come as is back in uh, 81 or 82, the first year of the Fiero, but they could have put the brakes and suspension on it, and it could have been a heck of a car back then. Except they were busy using Chevette and uh, Chevy Cavalier parts. Well, they had those left over. Those are, those are on the shelf. Well, that, yeah. that was the point of it. Yeah. But I always thought one of the other downfalls of the, of the Fiero to have finished the package would have been to put the quad four in it. And then it would have had a high-performance four-cylinder in it, which that car was basically built for a four-cylinder. But after they did all the suspension modifications and stuff that you talk about in the article, that was a fine little car. Yeah, and I wonder. It's it's funny you mentioned the quad four because I was kind of thinking about that too. But it, it would be beyond the scope of what I was writing here. But you know that was an Oldsmobile engine. Yep. And even in the eighties, those those manufacturers, those divisions were not too keen on sharing engines. Sometimes you know the North Star wasn't shared with anyone until Oldsmobile in the in the you know a few years later. Right. Um, you couldn't get a North Star in a Chevrolet. No, no, um, never could. Yeah, so what were the odds back in 1982 or whenever they were ma- Oldsmobile was making that quad for? What were the odds Oldsmobile would say, no, you're never getting it for your Fiero? Well, well but, and they eventually did share it through Pontiac and Buick. You can get the quad fours. And there was actually some Chevys you can get it in as well. But beside the point, I thought Fiero was another great choice. Um, yeah, and yeah. then the short life of the uh, CT6 um, and the CT6 Blackwing, which was the beast. But yeah. You know, just kind of the wrong choice. They're selling this $100,000 car with just the flat-out wrong engine in it. Yeah. Well, I got one for you. How about the SSR? It had no engine in it. Well, it had the LS1 to start with, no. and then they went with the LS3. It was just, it was horrible. It was horrible. It had absolutely no horsepower. It was horsepower. just heavy. And it, 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 no. Right. And, and here's but another. It, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, yeah, it needed the LS1 from the start. It didn't have a 5.7. It had the 5.3 from a Chevy truck. Right. So... It drove like a truck, but looked sort of like a sports car. But I mean, well, I mean, that was an, that was a cool looking vehicle, but it it had a truck powertrain because it was a Chevy Trailblazer. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, once they put the LS3 in it, which that didn't exist when it first came out, but if they put the LS, if they put the Camaros LS1 and six speed in it from the get go, that would have been a pretty cool vehicle. Right, would have been a totally different vehicle. Well, and another engine flop, I think, was was it the H two or the H three that had that horrible five cylinder engine in it that had no power for a vehicle that weighed ten million pounds. <laughs> it was the H three. Yeah. Oh my God, it was just horrible. But again, that's that's the same as the HHR. That was the H three was a tr- Chevy Trailblazer shared platform that they stuck the Hummer body on it. That inline five cylinder was anemic to say the least. Yeah. So what else did you come up with? So, see, I, I remember I, I put in, I, I, because I wanted to get more than just three or four, I, I really dug into GM's history, and most of it's just available online, and I have a couple of books here uh, behind me uh, in my collection, in my personal collection of stuff. And when General Motors was turning into General Motors, you know, before the Model T times, or, you know, during the Model T times, it's pretty interesting what they were trying to do as far as segmenting the market, the car market back then. But the car market during the Hoover era was probably not as well known as it is now or in the past 50 years. It was hard. So they made like the Chevrolet made a, a high end car with an overhead valve engine called the Series D. And that was a little too much like a Buick. 
So when Chevrolet got sucked into General Motors, General Motors axed that car, even though that was probably a great vehicle. It was only in, in production for two years. But, you know, it was it was one of those things where it was probably too good to be a Chevrolet, but so they just had the, and they had other vehicles there. And Chevrolet had the V8 before Ford had the flathead V8 out by by yeah. almost a decade. Yeah, and and then they killed it. <laughs> um, amazing. And then well, the the EV1 or what internally was called the Impact, which I always thought was just a poor name for a car. Um, but you know, you talked about the EV1, their first foray into electric vehicles as well. Yeah, and that was, you know, because the EV1 was a compliance car, but the more you look into it, it, it wasn't just made to keep the government happy or to get some fundage coming through. They they had plans for it. I mean, they they could have they could have pushed out a little further. And the mere fact that they upgraded it from lead acid batteries, like what like what all like what all gasoline cars have, to a lithium. I'm sorry, uh, to a nickel metal hydride. Which is a battery that was really hot 25 years ago. Um, they upgraded it, and that immense, immediately improved the range. And you know, it just shows that it was it was well on its way to becoming like a Tesla. I mean, it was a premium vehicle. It was sold at Saturn dealers, if I remember my history correctly. So it was not sold with your average, you know, eight thousand dollar Cavalier. Um, it was sold at a premium dealership. It was more of a Tesla experience. Well, one of the unique things about the EV1 was it was never sold. They were, on, yeah. they were only leased. They were leased, So yeah. I think GM had planned for failure because they wanted to collect all of them at the end of the lease for whatever they wanted to do with them. There's still a few of them out there. I know Jay yeah. Leno has one. But I, I always thought that was odd, like they were planning on that to be a, a flop. It was They never sold it. It was only a lease car. Weird. Very yeah. strange. Well, maybe that's the next article for you, is to, is to do all the electrics. Uh, there's, oh, yeah. There's a history of them. I mean, we're, we're getting enough of those now, so yeah. And then oh. finally, one of my favorites was the Oldsmobile Intrigue. I love that car. I thought that was a great car. Very underrated car. No one talks about it. And, I mean, it's a family sedan, but everyone talks about Camrys or Tauruses or, right. you know, Impalas or whatever. But, yeah, it was... It was the best of the bunch, but it got none of the stuff. And, you know, I, I'm not saying that, that a front-wheel drive 300-horsepower LS series engine is a great performance car because when you drive it, you have it's still a front-wheel drive car with torque steer. But, you know, it was, it, it, it was cool in its own right, and the mere fact that the Intrigue didn't get it was, was sad, but it was sad because Oldsmobile ceased to exist before that – before that, before that powertrain came out, right. and my wife had an Achieva. Yep. Well, and that was an ugly car. I'm sorry. <laughs> she but, hated it. But the, yeah, but the Intrigue, the unique thing about it was it had a V6 derived from the Oldsmobile uh, Aurora V8, and it was an exclusive to Oldsmobile. The Oldsmobile was the only one with that engine in it, which may have led to its demise as well. <laughs> well, the Aurora was nice. The it Aurora, was a good, well, good the Aurora was a, a nice car, yeah. but it had its flaws. But again, great article. I love the way that you en encompassed not just the recent ones, but you actually went back in time exactly. to look at some of the other flops of GM. Because I learned something reading this. I did not realize that the Viking was a GM product. Yeah, um, I had forgotten about that. I, you know, it's one of those things where you hear it, you hear it mentioned or you read it in a book years ago and it, it didn't stick for me. 
But then I went back and looked and I was like, oh, yeah, they had because I think it was I can't remember if it was the GMC body or B body. It was probably the B body because they made that from like 1928 up until the 1996 Impala Roadmaster, (laughs) etc. I mean, different chassis, same name. Um, And so they said, hey, we have this body. Let's just make different cars off of it and see if, you know, let's let's throw stuff on the wall and see what sticks. And there's nothing wrong with that, especially in the in the 20s. I mean, you're you're kind of you're inventing things. You're you're like you're you're kind of like the way Tesla is now. You're just creating things to see what's going to happen. Um, and it, I thought it was pretty fascinating. And I mean, my intent with this article was to educate and to not not to not to throw barbs at General Motors or not to throw barbs intentionally because a lot of manufacturers make these mistakes. I mean, it's like saying. It's like saying, you know, Ford should have put the, the Taurus SHO engine in a mid-engine car. I mean, they didn't do it, even though they had plans for it. Or Chrysler, um, Chrysler should have put the Hemi in the Prowler. Yeah. You can always look back on what could have, should have been, and yeah. then you just depend on the, uh, the custom car builders but now, to yeah, do it exactly. for you. All the hot rodders are doing that now. Yeah. And and that's what that's what now those now those prowlers are great with. I mean, a lot of them are putting LS motors, which, which which upsets the Mopar purist. But you know, at the end of the day, a rear wheel drive V6 is, can't really hold a candle to a rear drive V8. So what's next in your article uh, portfolio here? What what can we expect? Uh, what can we look forward to? Right. I, I literally just finished, and it got published yesterday, if I remember correctly, an article comparing the Toyota Crown flagships. The ones that we never saw because they were popular in Japan, you know, a good 15 years after the war um, or maybe 20, 20, 25 years after the war. And I compared those to the Cadillacs of the era. Um, so you can go to Haggerty.com slash media for that right now. And so, yeah, the the tank is kind of empty right now. I need to think of something else and, and come up with another one because I, I thoroughly love doing this and it, you know, if I can find if I can find an art and a notion with enough meat on it, I can probably come up with something interesting like this. You need to come to one of uh, our car shows that we attend. We've got uh, exactly. We got you know the next one is tailpipes and tacos on the 18th out in Katy. Out in Katy, or uh, one that I think that you'd really enjoy is Woody's Waterfront Car Ooh, Show that yeah. we're going to be at next month. Then uh, that draws a lot of different cars from all over the state of Texas. You think I think you'd really enjoy that. Whereabouts are yeah. you in Houston? Whereabouts are you in Houston? I'm in Spring Branch. I'm pretty central. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Well, we hope to run into you and uh, see you soon. And hey, next article, give us a shout. Let us know what you got. Let's talk about it. Will do. Thank you all. Thank you, man. It's Appreciate great talking it. to yeah, you. Sajeev Mata with uh, the Haggerty article. Great it's article. Great, yeah, great article. Yeah, I, I thought so, too. All right. I uh, got a couple of uh, stories making headlines this week. I want to get in before we close out uh, this week's show. Workers at three Ford Motor Company assembly plants in North America will face some level of downtime next week because of semiconductor-related part shortages, including huh. both factories that make the best-selling F-150. That's wow. the queso plant and the salsa plant because they ain't got no chips. Ah. No wonder we go over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ford's been hit especially hard by the chip crisis, although the company plans to work through most 
of some sixty to 70,000 unfinished vehicles. Huh. Still sitting si- out there. That are sitting in lots around assembly plants by the end of the third quarter. Collecting moisture, <clears throat> gas going bad. Flat in the spotting tires. Flat spotting tires. Japan's Rome company says that vital semiconductors for automobiles and industrial machinery will likely remain in short supply at least throughout next year. Ooh. Adding to ominous warnings about further fallout from the global chip crisis. The Kyoto-based chipmaker, whose customers include Toyota, Ford, and Honda, has been hampered by a severe shortage of key materials as well as full production lines, according to its CEO. The company started beefing up its capacity last September and plans to spend another $636 million in the current fiscal year. But the full contribution for such investments won't be seen immediately because production machinery is taking longer to arrive. Hmm. Uh, Chip delivery times have already surpassed 20 weeks as the COVID-19 Delta variant complicates efforts to resume normal operations from Japan to Southeast Asia. Ugly, ugly, ugly. Very ugly. Yeah. And it's uglier than Pontiac Aztec. <laughs> There's nothing uglier than yeah, that. Yeah, I was going to say, with, you got well, yeah, go A Pontiac Aztec with the camper back on it. Remember oh, they had the yeah, camper back yeah. on it? Give it a break. Honda <laughs> is warning U.S. dealers that vehicle deliveries to retailers could fall by 40% in the coming weeks compared with previous estimates. Go out and buy one now. Mm-hmm. Due to part supply problems out of Asia, according to a letter sent to retailers. The letter, which was confirmed by a dealer who expressed disappointment over the cut, said the resurgence of the coronavirus in Southeast Asia had converged with already tight microchip supplies to impact Honda production more than been expected. Yikes. I know. Wow, wow. And, and you know, you put those two things together. And remember we had the, the, the guy that made the stuff that goes in microchips on just a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the materials, the metals. Yes. And, and between the lack of parts or supplies and the coronavirus and capacity. And transportation of raw all, material. All of that. It's, it's turned into an absolute and nightmare. And people sitting on their butt collecting unemployment checks instead of going yep. out and going to work. Making chips. Making chips and salsa. I don't know about you, but I like working. I like working. Mm-hmm. Working is good. What, because what is the alternative? Not working. Mm-hmm. Well, what am I going to do? Sit around all day and look at myself? Eat, eat bonbons. And uh, chips and salsa. Bonbons. Chips and salsa. <laughs> chips and salsa. Lots of chips and salsa and margaritas. margaritas. And yeah. Oh, well, that sounds like fun. Strawberry frozen. <laughs> sounds like what you do every Friday night. Yes, have, you had, <laughs> have you had any liquor lately? I, I'm married. <laughs> so he has a lot of liquor. Well, here, here's your, here's here's your, your first shot right there. Right there. There you go. Some Canadian whiskey. Whiskey. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's the hair of the dog that bit you. I'm doing it. So we have got remote broadcasts coming up. I want to remind everybody also that if you're into Houston Motorsports Park and Gina Child Knowles racing thing out there, the September 4th race has been postponed until October. Oh, so man. keep that in mind, and we'll let you know when the date is. Mm. Uh, mm. Reason being is because of COVID. Uh, apparently, several of the racers have uh, COVID. So. Ouch. Wow. That's not good. That's no, not. So, at any rate, uh, and there's and that. knock on wood, we, none of us here have had that. Knock so. on wood. Well, I had my shots. Uh, yep. Distemper and... Uh, 
He's got the dog <laughs> he's, to... he's been wormed as well. <laughs> wormed. <laughs> wormed. Did you see that story? Uh-uh. Uh, where oh, people are, are taking uh, horse pills oh, for yeah. deworming to stave off COVID. Is that what they're taking it for? Yeah. I, I saw well, people. It's were, uh, designed going, for deworming. Who are these stupid people? It's designed for horses and livestock. Yeah. Not humans. But they're doing it to, like he said, you know, you know, the medical off. community has also now come out and said everything that was said about hydrochloroquine, hydrochloroquine, yeah, queen, it's, queen, it's true. Like yeah, I mean, it's good for that, you. That, well, yeah, and, and it will stave off the, the yep. coronavirus. It won't, it won't stop it. But so. I don't think that's official. But uh, Tune in next week for an appendix operation. Yes. By Jeff and his Swiss Army knife <laughs> in my home shop, <laughs> live, hey, remote, hey. If, if the part comes in, we've got a date next we weekend date to install week. a Hearst shifter. I hope I'm sober. A, her, a Hearst shifter. Well, you certainly won't be after we get done. Oh hell yeah! yeah. Well, we want to kind of give a shout out to Sean Rich at uh, Garages of Texas out there in Katy. Yep. They had their. Yep. Uh, uh, cool. They, they had their event today. Nice and work, I think Sean. That's, that's winding down, uh, and that's uh, garages and gearheads. Yep. So I know Sean was uh, following. He, he us needs today. to uh, he was send, with send us. Mike some photos so we could post those. You know, one of the other things I thought was hilarious. Uh, um, Gary Emmons is kind of connected with me a little bit, and he sent me an article about a 23-year-old Toyota Tacoma pickup truck. With a manual transmission. All right. And, you know, we were talking to him about used car pricing and stuff. He said they went nuts on this car. 23 years old, 64,000 miles, and it goes through an auction, and they paid $17,000 for it. What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? And the, guy who bought bought it wrote, and the guy who bought it wrote the article. I'm laughing hysterically, and then... And then I go back and I read the top and I, I texted back to Gary. I says, you didn't write the article, did you? <laughs> and he goes, no, 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 no. But how crazy is that, you know? And, you know, last time he, they were on, he was talking about how the, the values are starting to drop again. A little bit, yeah. At 17000 for a 20 So imagine if that was in a high you value. Know, my, I'm thinking... My mom's 2002 Honda Odyssey with 85,000 miles on it. I may need to take better care of it. Boy, you, pull the you, chips you out of it. We'll be right back. Houstonian-owned Bayway Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram has the most sought-after models in the Houston area today. When you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, you now have a place to go. General Manager Lincoln Stahl guarantees Bayway will beat any competitor's written price on the new vehicle you choose or pay you $1,000. Bayway Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is easy to get to on Highway 225 near Beltway 8 in Pasadena. Whether it's online or in person, you're welcome like one of the family. BaywayChryslerDodgeJeepRam.com Tailpipes and Tacos, Houston's premier monthly car cruise-in, returns Saturday, September 18th at two Loopy Tortilla Mexican restaurants in Katy and inside the Loop on the Southwest Freeway near Kirby. Tailpipes and Tacos is free and everyone's invited.